0: You're listening to KRUI 89.7 Iowa City. Welcome to Bijou Banter, produced by the Bijou Film Board, a student-run organization at the University of Iowa dedicated to the exhibition of provocative and engaging cinema. Since 2013, Bijou has assisted with the programming and operation of Film Scene, a nonprofit cinema in downtown Iowa City. As a disclaimer, all of the opinions expressed during Bijou Banter are those of the hosts and our guests and not those of KRUI or the University of Iowa. It's Thursday, February 23rd, 2017, and in this week's show, we'll be discussing several films that are about to open at Film Scene. Our lineup includes Train to Busan, which is which plays at Film Scene this Saturday, February 25th at 11 p.m. as part of Bijou After Hours. Next we'll be discussing South Side with you, which plays at Film Scene Tuesday, February 28th at 6 p.m. followed by a Q&A as part of Bijou Film Forum. Finally, we'll be discussing the Oscar nominated film Tony Erdman, which opens at film scene this Friday, February twenty fourth, twenty seventeen. Before we before we begin to banter, I should introduce my co-hosts. We have Sean Wu, a pre-business and English double major at the University of Iowa. Welcome, Sean. It's great to be back. And we have Changmin Yu, a Film Studies grad student at Iowa. Welcome, Changmin.
1: Happy to be here.
0: And I'm Leah Vonderheide, a Film Studies grad student. (laughs) Just kidding, I'm Spencer Williams, a Cinema and English double major at the University of Iowa. Let's start with our first film, Train to Busan. Changmin, perhaps you can share your thoughts before we begin? Sure. So
1: Train to Busan is another
0: zombie apocalypse
1: film. You might even say that this film is a riffle of Bong Joon-ho's Snowpiercer. But there's something different too. Train to Busan was a box office hit throughout Asia. It is even the highest-grossing film in Taiwan last year. The film tells the story of a workaholic father who works in finance. Not surprisingly, his negligence alienates his daughter from him. And the plot really begins to move when both of them board the titular Train to Busan, when an infected woman with a bite wound on her leg jumps into one of the cars and causes the train-wide explosion of The Walking Dead. Many traditional melodramatic elements in the zombie genre appear as well. The traumatic separation of friends and family members following the attack, the head is the only weakness of a zombie kind of setting, the tortures and torturing journey that the protagonist and his teammates have to go through in order to save their loved ones. However, different from Snowpiercer's hierarchical organization of dystopian oppression, Trent to Busan wants to simplify things. A simple melodrama with an allegory that the audience can easily read. Now is the time for those white-collar fund managers to do something to save this world in ruins. To a certain degree, I can imagine why this film, in comparison with other similar films, is successful. Contemporary zombie films usually focus on the globalized transportation system and how it becomes the fundamental cause of the unstoppable spreading of one zombie infection or another, like World War Z. Train to Busan, on the other hand, showcases the power of the state, the Great South Korea, and its ability to absolutely contain the disease. This containment, in turn, produces a satisfying closure. My fellow banterers, how do you like this film?
2: I thought it was good. Like, it's it's a good movie. It's just very, it's exactly what I expected it to be because it's a zombie movie, and with what we know about zombies, with like The Walking Dead and World War Z, which was previously mentioned, we have these certain expectations of what we're going to see, and I saw what I expected. And Train to Busan is not as good as Snowpiercer. I think because it's just uh, has a mishmash of tones going on. I'm not sure if it wants to be like the next great cult movie or like a very heavy-handed look at a father-daughter relationship. So there's a lot going on in the movie that I'm not sure all works together, but it is entertaining.
0: Yeah, I would say that when I went to see this film, it kind of felt like, I had seen it before, in a way. <laughs> like, I felt, like, a weird sense of deja vu and sort of watching this movie. I don't know, there are so many elements in this movie that seem to have appeared in other zombie movies. I'm thinking, like, 28 Days Later, or just, like, any movie that has a zombie in it. I mean, there are elements of, like, zombie land, too. There's just, like... It's kind of, like... Just, like, your quintessential zombie movie in which sort of you have people who at first appear like flippant and villainous and then it turns out that that's not the case and you don't get attached to any one character because you know that there's a possibility they might not make it out so it's not worth it um yeah and I guess I'm in the minority on sort of the snowpiercer love train I did not like that movie but I liked this movie a bit better um I don't know, I just think that in this movie there seems to be some sort of, like, I don't know. I mean, in both movies the acting is, like, very inconsistent and um, melodramatic. But there's something interesting about this film and how it sort of, it's not just confined to sort of this... um, I guess, monorail, like, bus, or train, uh, train, train, to yeah, um, <laughs> where, like, there's also sort of the setting of, like, the train station, and there's sort of these glimmers of, like, hope where you feel like, oh, okay, so when the train, like, moves into the train station, like, everything is going to be fine. This is, like, the not infected zone, and then things just go to crap again, and you, there's characters sort of have to, like, figure out how to get back on the train, and so it's sort of, like, the train is both sort of like the antagonist, but then also sort of like what they ultimately come back to to save them from, I guess, the forces of evil that exist outside of the train too. So I thought that was sort of an interesting prop to use. And then I guess in the end too, it's sort of like I wasn't, I was kind of, it was unexpected to me who sort of makes it out and who doesn't. And that was interesting for me as a viewer.
2: There's a problem with the characters in the movie. I think they're only memorable to me now because they're pretty much like uh, survivor movie cliches. Like you have the pregnant woman and uh, the high schoolers that are like kind almost almost in love and like their romance is put to the test in this uh, life or death situation. So. Uh, problem with train to busan is just um there's nothing really holding the set pieces together like the action is very cool and violent and bloody and well done but from the the glue holding these set pieces together with these uh characters is just very lacking very uninteresting and it's I don't know. There's just not much to it.
0: It's like an issue I had with Snowpiercer, too, where there's just so many characters that there's, like, no way that each character can sort of have their moment. Like, there are two characters in this film. Like, I think they're sisters. They're, like, elderly women. At first, I thought they were, like, lesbians. And then, (laughs) I guess, like, later on, it's just, like, they're sisters. Um And like they sort of you think they're going to be like important and like in a way one of them is but it just like it happens so fast that like you can't their moments happen so fast that you can't really hold on to sort of the emotional impact of that relationship long Mm -hmm. enough to care because then we're like in the next cart and there's like a whole entirely different thing that's happening. So basically, uh, we are talking about the supporting actors and actresses in this
1: film. And I, I thought that the older sisters are, you know, a good touch just because that they are not exactly um, in the main plot line of this film. But they sort of work in the sense that uh, you see that in like in their conversation, in their um, sort of uh, interactions with each other, they add a certain depth to the narrative in the sense that you know that, okay, they are alienated, they, they, they didn't talk much, and you see that, okay, there's still this separation going on. It is not like, okay, uh, your ordinary uh, husband and wife being separated by the fact that one of them is now a zombie. So I do think that that is um, a good touch. But in general, uh, I I don't remember... Like the characters in this film that much. I don't. <laughs> I, I'm. I even. I even remember less about uh, Snowpiercer. Like I. I only remember like Chris Evans now. Like, yeah. yeah.
2: Well, Tilda Swinton. She had really big glasses. I think. It's, yeah. Like, that's and, memorable.
1: Yeah. And Tilda Swinton. Like that's the only two characters I can remember from Snowpiercer. Right. So like. Uh, but then again, I. I don't know why, but I, I think I like Snowpiercer better because it's more stylized. Like, and it has like a, at least an interesting setting in the sense that, oh, see, this is what uh, is going to happen to us if we don't cope with the climate change right now. <laughs> right? So, like, so like that, I think. And also, Boone is a very, very stylish director. So in that sense, you can, st- again... Uh, following our previous commentaries on so many films, you can see that film as a meta commentary, right? Right. So in that sense, like, I don't know. I I, I think uh, Train to Busan is very successful just because it has uh, the most simplistic narrative you can imagine in a zombie film. So, like, I think people like it. And it, it has a, a, um, a narrative of sacrifice. And, it, like, it also... Um, gives you this very heroic uh, protagonist that uh, uh, protected his daughter till the very end, right? So, I mean, I guess that's likable.
0: Yeah, it's like the kind of movie that you watch and you sort of imagine yourself as the hero and you're like, I would have done the same thing. But, like, we all know that's not true. All right, so, um, uh,
1: although this is... um, a film about zombies on a train. Um, But in fact, in many zombie films, we can see that uh, the zombie genre seems to have an intimate relationship with uh, claustrophobia. Uh, Either you have to shut someone outside or survive with something alien inside. So do you think the spatial organization of Train to Busan
2: is effective? It's kind of like... uh, It somehow worked in Snowpiercer and here too. This video game style, like, we have to get through this car, this car, and this car, to, uh, and that's, like, interesting and really easy to understand action, and I guess I'm bringing video game movies into this. It's like, this is kind of, kind of like a video game style, and I'm surprised no video game movie has worked if there's, uh, uh, this order that the uh, the these train zombie claustrophobia movies have i think uh the spatial organization is really effective just because of how simple and uh simple it is and there's always something really scary it's like this train's also moving too so it's uh it's just very thrilling
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I think there's something interesting that happens inside of the train, too, that I don't know if I've seen in another zombie film where, like, you can pull down sort of the curtain, and then if the zombie's not making direct eye contact with you, then it can't, (laughs) like, harm you in some way. And so, like, that's how a lot of the passengers, like, buy time, I guess. And I wasn't entirely sure what they were doing with all of their, like, clothes and stuff as they were, like, tying it to the door. I wasn't sure what that was about. But, like, there are a lot of interesting, I guess, um, ways to survive in sort of these tight spaces that, like, you have to become resourceful in your captivity, (laughs) I guess. Because, I mean, as you said, like, the trains are moving. They're not going to stop until they get to, like, a particular point that they feel is safe. So it's, like, a matter of waiting and buying time. And I guess also the zombies can't see you if it's, like, dark either. So, like, the lighting of sort of the train also sort of plays into how people weave their way in and out of carts. And then I guess the difference between Snowpiercer is that these characters are allotted time to sort of move outside of their confinement for like a brief period. Yeah. Uh, also, I think that uh, that tactic
1: uh, particular um, that uh, people are going to take advantage of darkness and like use it to their adventure is also from Snowpiercer, right? There's, yeah. there's that scene in which like uh, uh, Chris Evans and... Uh, and his other teammates just kill a bunch of soldiers in darkness, right? Like right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah so I, I mean, and th- that that is like also thrilling too. So I think, like, I mean, people are not wrong when say, when they say that okay, this is like a uh, Snowpiercer with zombies. But then again, I think the the real difference uh, difference is really that this film has a very. Uh, I don't know, emotional ending. And, like, Snowpiercer, on the other hand, wants you to confront all those big questions <laughs> about class, society, and, I don't know, climate change, maybe. Yeah. So, like, that might seem a little bit fake and superficial. <laughs>
2: yeah, sure. I felt like Train to Busan's ending was, like, oh, almost, like, thievery from Snowpiercer's, though. I was, like... I felt there's like a direct copy. I hope that's not spoiling
0: anything. Though. Really? No. I felt it was kind of different because I feel like with Snowpiercer, it's sort of like it ends and you feel oh you, there's no that's you it continue <laughs> like you can't continue on like the story yeah. is completely over. Whereas like in this one, there's sort of it almost feels like they're setting it up for like some kind of sequel or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: like you can totally imagine that this, uh having another sequel or like ten other sequels, yeah. right? So I mean, of especially the tonality of. Uh, this film is very different from Snowpiercer in the sense that, okay, the ending is sort of nationalistic and
0: patriotic. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, yeah. I can't wait to banter about Train to Tucson. True. <laughs> All right, great. Why don't we end on that note? Again, Train to Busan plays a film scene this Saturday at February 25th at 11 p.m. as part of Bijou After Hours. For more information on Bijou After Hours, check out bijou.uiowa.edu. After a quick break, we'll be back to discuss South Side with you.
1: Ranger Station. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting in the forest. Uh-huh. One second, I'm having a smoke. Next thing I know, I'm face-to-face with Smokey Bear. Wow. And he told me it only takes one spark to start a wildfire. Did you know nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? I had no idea. That's why Smokey's famous, and you're not. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires.
0: Welcome back to Bijou Banter on KRUI, Iowa City. This show is dedicated to discussing films playing locally at Film Scene. Let's move on to our second film, South Side with You. Scooter, did this romance have you swooning in your seat? I was very much <laughs> like, "Aw, it's very cute. It's such a nice little
2: movie. It's a good little first date." So in twenty in the twenty twelve film Pitch Perfect, Anna Kendrick famously sang in the Cup Song, "You're gonna miss me when I'm gone." Truer words have not been spoken, especially in the wake of post-Obama America. It's easy to reminisce looking back on better days while watching the kind and sweet Southside with you written and directed by Richard Tan. It's depicting Barack and Michelle Obama's first date based on what is publicly known about it. Whether or not you are a fan of the Obama family, it's hard not to like Tika Sumter and Parker Parker Sawyer's depiction of Michelle and Barack, respectively. The movie doesn't have much in the way of conflict. It's very dialogue-heavy, with many of its scenes being its two leads just walking and talking. It's clearly influenced by Linklater's Before Trilogy and maybe even Chris Rock's Top Five. Southside with You isn't as strong or as memorable as either of those movies, but its positivity and wholesomeness is strong enough for it to make a good impression on me, especially in these trying times. My fellow banterers, what did you think of
0: it? Uh, it kind of felt like, like a dessert movie where like, <laughs> it's like very, it goes down easy and like you enjoy it while you're spending time with it. But then like after it's done, it's kind of like, you either feel like you just ate, like, sometimes you'll either like get a stomach like later on or like, you just like, it's completely unmemorable <laughs> afterwards. But like, in the moment, it's like, you're like into it. Um yeah, I mean, it's it certainly did remind me of the Linklater trilogy. Um, and I thought that both actors were, like, very likable, and um, their banter and dynamic is sort of... Um, I don't know, it just reminds me of sort of, like, you know, your... I mean, and it's, it's... I don't know, it's hard to watch this movie and not think about, like, what then happened, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there's sort of, like, there's no stakes... In right. this movie, because you already know what's gonna happen after sort of the credits roll, so it's kind of just like a movie that you s- can like sit back, like maybe look at your phone a couple of times, and like, <laughs> yeah. but is like that still what you do? sort of, uh, <laughs> 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 and sort of like, but you still know what's going on when you like jump back in. Yeah. So. Uh,
1: I think this is a, the kind of film that gives you a main feeling like uh uh mm, mm, ah yeah. uh, yes, mm-hmm. like in the sense that. Okay um I don't know why but like films about African Americans like on um, big screen nowadays are very, very white in their in their form, right? In the sense that, okay, like if you want to depict uh, African-Americans in a positive way, you have to follow like certain gener- uh, gen- generic conventions. I think I have the same issue with dear white people and like, and dear white people, at least is doing something different. Like she's trying to uh, mock uh, this kind of Ivy League school culture. And in this film, Uh, Southside with you, like all those values are just being uh, replicated and like uh, served to you as the ultimate um, proof that Barack and Michelle just are good people. They are hardworking people. They deserve to be together and it is a strong relationship. I mean, the only thing I like the film is that I, I don't know that Barack Obama. Uh, was a smoker, so like, <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I I I feel like I sort of have this alliance with him, but that's it.
2: <laughs> it's just uh, such a movie. It's just it is what it is. It's just good, and I feel like there's only one scene of conflict, really, two scenes. There's a small back and forth on whether or not what they're doing is a date, and like it's such. A minor little conflict and later uh, they see their boss like outside of a movie theater and there's just you're right about I agree about it not having any stakes because it's just so it exists anyway <laughs> uh, let's talk about Tika Sumter and Parker Sawyer's performance were the were you two convinced that the uh, the actors were Michelle and Barack, despite not looking or sounding much like the two iconic figures?
1: I think uh Parker Sawyers uh, did a very good job in the film. Like he does sound like Barack Obama, especially with like uh, his intonation and right. his weight of delivery lines and, and like his um, particular style of like giving a speech. I thought I found that uh, very convincing. I haven't seen that much Of Michelle Obama so I cannot judge Tika Sumter's performance but in general I think uh, both all all of the actor and actress in the film are likable and uh, convincing and uh, I mean at least like when you see them perform you won't hate this film right like they uh, they give you a very personable version of these two important figures in the history of America
0: yeah, and I feel like Barack Obama has such like an iconic voice that has been like parodied, like even by like SNL. So like we all sort of have it in our consciousness of like what Barack Obama sounds like, and so I think Parker Sawyer's performance sort of captures that without going into like caricature or like over the topness. But I don't know. Michelle Obama's kind of she doesn't have. I, when we think of Michelle Obama, we certainly don't think of her voice, and so mm-hmm. I think uh, Tinka Sumters performance is more so i guess about her intelligence and sort of like how she thinks about things and how she i mean her like perspective on issues plaguing their community i feel like if there are any if there is a conflict in this movie it's happening outside of the frame and Mm -hmm. it's sort of the the two characters having to sort of deal with the fact that they're, at the end of the day, they're just like two people, and they can't by themselves change these like circumstances that are plaguing the community. Um, and there's like an argument that they have in the car, sort of about, oh, we both are dissatisfied with this job that we currently have. Um, we could be doing so many more, like I guess, better things for our people from where we come from um, if we like we're given the opportunity, but as it stands sort of like in how they are perceived by their employers, like they have to act a certain way and be a certain way in order to, and work like two times as hard as everyone else in the office, just to sort of get the bare minimum. And that's sort of like the confinements in which they are struggling with um, inside of the film. And I think there's like an interesting, the use of Spike Lee's do the right thing in the film is sort of, an interesting um, reference, (laughs) I guess. And it does cause, I guess, like you were saying, like another point of conflict in which they both happen to run into um, Michelle Obama's, like, boss employer um, Mm -hmm. at the movies. And it's sort of, it's kind of like, I don't know how to describe it, but it feels very much like textbook scene about, Racism 101, where it's like...
1: Racist microaggression.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's very much about microaggressions, but also sort of about just, like, sexism, too, yeah. like, misogyny, and just sort of, like, how you, Chica Sumter's... Uh, Michelle Obama kind of, like, brings up in the movie, the character Michelle Obama in the movie, um, mm. brings up sort of, like, as a woman, she has to already be working harder than the guys in the workplace, but then also because she's black, she has to do, like, t- two times as much that just to be sort of, like, given just, like, a nod, you know, just to be acknowledged at all. And so in that scene, I think it's so interesting, sort of, like, she's been there a lot longer than Obama has, and yet she's the one that is sidelined, and her opinions are sidelined in favor of sort of, like, the new cool guy that <laughs> <laughs> the boss seems interested in. And it's just, like, because, you know, like, in that scene, you're thinking, like, oh, okay, there's no way if she had said what Obama had said to her employer, her employer would not have taken it as easily as had Obama told him, which is what happens. So I don't know. There's just, there are, I guess, these little, there are moments of conflict, but they arise in ways that are not, like, obvious to just, like, a, I mean they're not, like, screaming at each other, I guess, and they're not, like, throwing things, you know? That's not, like, what we consider, like, conflict, but there are these, like, moments that happen, and when they do happen, they're more noticeable because the rest of the movie is, feels like fluff. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I'm glad you brought
2: up this, uh the car conversation, but, like, there's so much that, like, we could be doing instead of what we're doing right now, essentially, and it... Kind of rub that scene actually rubbed me the wrong way because it's like I felt like they were just constantly nudging at this idea of like, like, well, what do we do in the future? We could be doing this, this, this. Like maybe we could get involved in politics. And it's just there's <laughs> I'm I'm um really simplifying a lot of the movie, but it's uh this mo- the movie does have uh, nudges at what the future holds for both of these people, so. Did either of you two notice this, or is it just me? And was if you
0: did, was it, like, a problem at all? I feel like with a movie like this, it's sort of impossible not to nudge at the future just because it's, like, in the public sphere, and so it's, like, very easy, and it's you can't really escape it, especially because, I mean, they're just, like, two iconic figures, and so we already know. We've lived through that presidency, and so we know... It feels like as if we know them already before we even come to this movie. So to hear that kind of talk, it seems just like the obvious choice. <laughs> and so for me, I wasn't bothered by it. Um, and I think it says a lot that, um, I mean, the issues that they're talking about in the car are still issues that are relevant even after their presidencies over so it's sort of like it's still a conversation that resonates despite sort of the winks and the nudges i think this
1: is just like a prime example of a self-fulfilling prophecy that of course we know you are going to go into politics and of course we know you are going to do this step by step um like build I know a cathedral from growing up. That kind of ideology. I think, like in general, the dissatisfaction we feel toward this film is actually people's dis- dis- uh, dissatisfaction toward the Obama presidency, right? Like it's like, okay, we know you are doing something and appreciate the changes you brought to uh, the United States, but in general, we feel like your moderate stance still is not enough for certain issues or like for the certain uh, problems that are facing this country. So in that sense, I think the film does like try to convey a very, I don't know, authentic Obama ideology to you. So like, I think that is why, I mean, yes, you, you can see uh the Obama couple from this film, but you also feel like, uh, 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 I don't know about this. I don't know why, like, after, like, why you have to make this film in 2016.
2: <laughs> I think the movie works whether, like, it, the ability of the movie to work for the viewer is just dependent on whether or not, like, you liked Obama. And I I was a huge Obama fan, so I was really able to get behind a lot of the good values Obama had. And I imagine if you weren't a big Obama supporter, his scene in the community center when he's like, carry on would just be like um just really trying. But I don't know. I think
0: it's it's just nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So why don't we end on that note. Um, again, South Side With You plays a film scene Tuesday, February 28 at 6 p.m. as part of Bijou Film Forum. For more information on Bijou Film Forum, check out bijou.uiowa.edu. Before we move on to our third film, let's check on the weather. All right, it is currently 45 degrees outside um, with a 90% chance of rain for the rest of the night. Um, I don't know what else I am supposed to say. And tomorrow it's going to be, ooh, it's going to be a low of 19 and a high of 39 with a chance of snow. Awesome. Burr. Great. You're listening to (laughs) Bijou Banter on KRUI Iowa City. Bijou Banter is a show dedicated to discussing films playing locally at Film Scene. And in our final segment, we'll be discussing the best foreign language film nominee, Tony Airdman. So, Tony Erdman, directed by Marin Ad, I don't know how to pronounce that last name, I apologize, Uh, premiered in competition at Cannes this year to great acclaim, despite an impressive three-hour running time. The story concerns a divorced music teacher named Winfriend Conradi, who, after the death of his dog, appears on his daughter's front steps for an extended visit. The daughter... Inez is a stern careerist with a job in business consulting in Romania, where she works on an outsourcing project for the oil industry. She's often the only woman in the room, and thus has acquired a hardened exterior to mask her frustrations with the day-to-day sexism she experiences at the hands of her male co-workers. Um, Inez and Winfred could not be more different, and the film is at its most enjoyable when these two personalities clash. Winfred, in an effort to bring happiness into his daughter's life, takes on a persona named Tony Erdman, a life coach with a horrible wig and an equally horrible set of yellow fake teeth. Wearing down, Inez's armor proves to be a trying test, task, but she eventually succumbs to her father's antics and in turn performs, in my opinion, the film's best moment, a rendition of Whitney Houston's greatest love of all. Um, ultimately, the film is about familial relationships and all of the messy, emotional, and often hilarious moments that parent-child interactions can bring. Um, while a bit on the long side, I must say I enjoyed getting to know these characters and their unique quirks. My fellow banters, what did you make of this film?
2: I don't like this movie. Oh, man. <laughs> it's so long, and it could have so much trimmed for it. from it, honestly. And I feel like saying that is, like uh just like i imagine some cinephiles listening on the other end grabbing their pitchforks but i just think this movie is so long-winded and so fat and uh it just needs to be streamlined and maybe it's intentionally messy because that's how families are families are messy and it's just not really entertaining it was not entertaining for me to watch for so much of it and there are weird uh subplots that uh with Inez's life, like uh an affair with a coworker that is just really uninteresting and there's a scene that's just so weird, so uncomfortably, painfully weird that I couldn't get behind and the movie It says so right on the poster has like the funniest nude scene of all time. Also really uncomfortable, really weird. I I don't know. I just... The movie wasn't for me.
1: Uh, I have to say this is a polarizing film. Yeah. Uh, especially when the film was screened at Cannes. Because like uh, every uh, media outlet there was raving about this film. Like, oh, this is the best competition film at Cannes this year. Blah, blah, blah. And the film... Got nothing from the jury, right so Good. like <laughs> so like there there's a reason why uh, you see all these like polemical reviews about this film, and um for people who like it, you can say that this film is a European kind of awkward comedy, right it is about the awkward relationship that we have with family members with our friends, with our colleagues, and the film is deliberately long just because it wants to give you that kind of durational um, feeling about all these very um, uncomfortable feelings. Yes, that's one argument. But the, uh, the other side is, is um, scathing, like in the sense that, okay, this film is just a film of constipation. Like, like you feel like, oh, my God, okay, something important is going to happen, 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 happen. Mm. And it never came. Just like, oh, my God, it drags on and on and on. When are we going to see the explicit, uh, 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 I don't know, the violent and, like, the exploitative uh, confrontation between father and daughter? And that never came. So, like, in that sense, like, this film is all about subtle gestures and expressions uh you witness um on these two characters faces so i don't know i'm i'm ambivalent towards this film (laughs) because like at times i feel like okay yes there's this great performance of um of uh these two uh professional actor and actress yes and i think that performance of uh the Winnie Houston's Greatest Love of All is indeed very touching. But at the same time, you feel like there's just like, I think the film is very um, stylistic, but it is uh, at the same time so messy. So uh, as um, a film critic or like as a film audience, you you often cannot see the mastery of filmmaking there because like it it seems so spontaneous and awkward right so i don't know i don't know about this
2: film <laughs> i think maybe the movie is, is so subversive it, it just uh caught me by such a like a surprise because of how weird and unexpected it is that's why i might not have liked it and i'm i don't want to say i'm willing to give it a second chance but like i really should give it a second chance, but it's just so long. It's just, I don't know if I have the time to or if I really want to that badly.
0: I'm curious to see what it would be like watching it with an audience, though, because I feel like there are moments in this film that are so... I mean, for me personally, I found a lot of moments to be really funny um, that I feel maybe weren't supposed to... or were supposed to make me maybe feel... um, more uncomfortable than just, like, laughter. And I know people, there's going to be certain scenes in this film that people are going to sort of question marks are just going to, like, appear over their heads, and they're just going to be like, what just happened? But I also feel like, I mean, this isn't, like, an American comedy where, like, we know every single beat that's going to happen before we even see the movie. Like, this this isn't, like, train wreck, for instance. Like, there's there's really no... Like, there aren't just, like, a plethora of witty one-liners that the characters mm-hmm. just trade back and forth. And so mm-hmm. the humor comes from, more so from, like, physicality and just, like, yeah, just, like, these really, really awkward, like, cringy moments that you almost want to, like, turn away from. But I feel like those moments are also probably more true to life and, like, more true to sort of how I interact with my parents um, when my parents are annoying me in sort of these, like, humorous, brief moments that you sort of, like, deal with in the moment and then you're, like, you move on with your life and you, like, go to work and you, like, work your job and it's stressful and then you come home and, like, your parents are being weird again. Um But this film is also nominated for Best Foreign Film uh, for the Oscars this year. Uh What do we think of its chances? Sean, I know you love foreign cinema so i'll throw this at you first uh have you seen any of the other nominees and does this film stand out to you from the pack if you have i've
2: only seen one other nominee and it's the
0: salesman which
2: i think could pull an upset to win i'm uh since tony erdman won the british oscar the bafta i believe it's uh also it's also one of the most widely known titles in the lineup so i've of feeling he'll most likely win. And the Jack Nicholson uh, remake announcement certainly helps his chances of getting his name out there. On the political side of things, though, I think maybe The Salesman could win because of the travel ban that was in the news for a long time. And out of the two I've seen, I think The Salesman is a much better movie than Tony Airdman. Asghar Farhadi is a much more streamlined more i would even say smarter filmmaker than uh Aid, at least based on these past two movies because the salesman is also very unexpected and subversive movie that i was uh that has only grown in esteem since i've thought about since i've seen it it's a shame though that the two best foreign films of last year weren't even nominated and it's the handmaiden and l of course though
1: All right, so basically, I think we, I mean, I saw The Salesman, and I also saw saw A Man Called Uwe, right? Yeah. So what are
0: the other nominees? Uh, The other, just the one other one is Land of Mine. And uh, Tana, I don't know where Uh, that... Oh, yeah, and Tana, yeah. mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, so
1: out of the three I watched, I, I would say A Man Called Uwe was the most friendly one, right? Like, it has a humorous plot, and it deals with some heavy issues. And it is also a little bit melodramatic, which is something like um, Oscar um, jury's life, right? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, And The Salesman is a very meticulous film. Like, it is told by the Iranian director Fahadi. And uh, I would say that... um, it is the mo- most well-made film among the, uh, the foreign language nominees I've seen. And, but I think Tony Ehrman had, has a chance just because it is so weird. Maybe like the, the jurists uh, won't know how to evaluate its artistic value. Like, uh, if, like They might feel the need to uh, give a little word to to this film just because that you already won the the Golden Globe, right? I L won the Golden L, Globe. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 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 Okay. So mm, that um well L seems to be like a more um possible choice. <laughs> uh but like it is not nominated. So I don't know. I think just uh The Salesman is a better film, that I agree. But like Tony Erman might be a winning candidate just because of its provocation.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen The Salesman yet. I want to. I love that director. But I did see A Man Called Uwe, which I hated. Um, <laughs> so I guess at, currently right now I am rooting for Jenny Erdman just because I like it a lot more than the one other film that I've seen on this list. Um, so I'm hoping, I don't know, I should probably see The Salesman at some point. Um, but let's talk about the... Actually, let's take a quick break, and then when we return, we'll continue our discussion of Tony Erdman. That's okay. All right, welcome back to BG Banter on KRUI UI Iowa City. This is a show dedicated to discussing films playing locally at Film Scene. We're currently discussing the Oscar nominated film, Tony Erdman. So uh, let's talk about the parent child dynamic of the story because it certainly doesn't feel like the kind of parent child dynamic we see in American cinema. Inez um, is already an adult when her father kind of inserts himself into her life. And she's a very successful adult. She's not, like, a floundering sort of, like, oh, I'm in New York City, and, like, it's such a big city, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I wish I could, like, move up in the, like, hip magazine thing that I work at. But, like, that's never going to happen. No, she's, like, a very... She, like, has um, a stake in a business, and, like, I mean, it's alluded that, I mean, a lot of people's jobs are sort of dependent on the decisions that she makes with hers. Um, And so her father inserts himself into her life after going through what appears to be a midlife crisis, which is sort of what we would expect the child character to sort of take on um, and go back to the parent figure. Um, But what do we make of Winfred's motivations for wanting to spend time with his conservative daughter in the form of the alter ego he creates?
2: Well, the alter ego, at least from what I got from the movie is formed because she wouldn't spend time with like the person that is her father. So he created a a business alter ego who is essentially his, his the personality of the father times like 100. So um, I think it's just it's a given how weird the movie is, the donning the Tony Erdman disguise by Winifred is not too surprising, and it's pretty reasonable.
1: I think, uh, in general, there's this um, happy-go-lucky quality about Tony, right? Like, um, he's weird, he's clownish, and he says, like, all these weird things. And I think the reason why... um, Uh, Winfrey wants uh, his daughter to meet um, his other ego is because he's trying to model the public-private distinction here, right? I think this film is so awkward, especially because um, uh, Tony Ehrman's, this character is always interfering with Ennis's, like public life. It is not just like, oh, uh, he's a squatter at her place. No, it is more about that, oh, uh, Tony Ehrman would go talk to um, all of her business associates, right? That's what's really weird about this film, because usually um, in America, like uh, all the... Awkward comedies we have seen about people's private lives, such as Louis, such as uh, girls, for example, and such as like all these films, uh, like or like comedies uh, made by Amy Schumer or like uh, Lena Dunham, right? So, like I think the the uh, the film is different just because it tries to renegotiate uh, the. Um, I don't know, this line, this borderline between public and private. But also, I think maybe, yes, this film would be even more effective if we all go see uh, the film in a theater, just because maybe it needs a
0: public to achieve its maximum effect. Right. And I think, I don't know, there's something interesting, too, about how... um like how Inaz sort of like reacts to this alter ego because at first when Tony Edwin pops up you expect her to sort of be like oh my god dad like what are you doing here like please leave like I'm hanging with my girls and you're ruining our fun night and I thought you went home and why are you wearing that like weird wig and those fake teeth like why are you like just like trying to ruin my social life and instead she doesn't do that she just kind of like, grits her teeth and just kind of like bears it out. Um, and then later on, she sort of begins to buy into the alter ego in a way. Like, she begins to interact with her father as Tony Erdman um, and sort of seems to be in on the joke. Um, and I think that's like a very interesting dynamic um, as far as like his motivations for even like showing up. Um, like, on her doorstep in the first place, there's, like, that's also sort of interesting. I mean, at the beginning of the film, we see him struggling. He has, like, a... He teaches piano lessons, like, out of his home. He's, like, divorced. And his one student doesn't want to play piano anymore, so that kind of leaves him... And, like, he sort of leaves him, like, astray. and But we also see that he's also, like, a choir director of some sort, but, like, a very strange one. Like, he, like, his students are all wearing, like, this, like, corpse paint. And it's, like, very bizarre. And he doesn't seem to really fit anywhere that when we finally see him as Tony Erdman, it makes more sense. Um, it sort of almost feels like the real Winifred is Tony Erdman, and sort of, like, the alter ego and the man behind the alter ego sort of blur into one, which I think is, like, like interesting. Um, And, I mean, the last costume that he wears in the film is, like, so bizarre. But it's also... There's, like... It's a comforting sort of, like, Sasquatch, like, suit, too, that also feels sort of, like, warm and fuzzy on the outset, which I feel is sort of the character, you know? And so every costume and every piece that he's putting on is essentially himself just amplified a little bit more for physicality's sake. Um, But the film has an impressive running time, which is something that has come up um, in our discussion. Uh, It's running about, let's say, like an hour and a half longer than the usual comedies that we watch normally, I would say. Um, do we feel the weight of this runtime? Is this a film that doesn't feel like it's three hours long? (laughs) Or does the running time give us a better chance to understand the characters and their motivations and sort of their inner turmoils, or does it undermine them in, like, useless details or moments? It definitely felt like three hours. It actually felt more
2: like four hours. To be (laughs) honest, I really just don't like this movie. I think even though it's uh 3 hours long it doesn't feel like i got more out of it because of its length because instead of having more scenes of like getting to know these characters better i felt each so many scenes were just really saggy and uh each scene was longer than what it would be in like an american comedy for example
0: but is that a fault
2: it at least to me i felt like it was a fault because i felt like there was uh, a more direct way to approach each scene, and that would have been just better for the movie, I think. Instead of it feeling so bloated.
1: I know. I feel like this film is totally in line with our cinema tradition, right? Like, you if you want people to feel the time, you give them the time, <laughs> like, right? You if you want people to feel like this is the struggle that these characters are going through, you have to give. The audience enough time for them to digest it, so I think like it to, it is totally in line with that that kind of tradition, and uh, at the same time, uh, I I mean I don't know if the messiness uh, is intentional or like unconscious. Like uh, it is hard to tell because that yes we don't we don't actually see uh, the very um articulate kind of storytelling that for example the salesman has like oh oh, you see all these like correspondences you see all these uh, uh repeating techniques that are trying to direct your attention to somewhere you don't see that here so like this film is uh is in a sense like almost digressing like it is trying to uh uh, get you away from the business world that the daughter uh, is living in. So, in that sense, I think uh, the, this kind of um, sat- uh, satirical, surrealistic uh, tradition can go back to I don't know certain kind of Eastern European filmmaking, like uh, like they, uh, a lot of those Eastern European directors like uh Rica or like. Um, Ili they would use surrealistic elements uh, to um, mock or to make fun of their contemporary society. Back then, it was the com- uh, communist society. and this film, it is the transnational corporate culture, right? So, like, in that sense, you can see that how um, uh, Tony Erman's character is, um, is highlighting all those ridiculousness of the corporate culture and how, like, uh, his country-style easy, go, -go happy-go-lucky attitude and, like, treat everything, like, um, uh, in a less-than-serious attitude is going to be some sort of um, subversive, right? So, I mean, you see that—so, like, in that sense, uh, because this film is focusing so much on the everyday, so like you, you can like even if you don't like the film, you you sort of know that okay, the director is trying to give you something different.
0: Yeah, and I feel like this film. I mean, it just feels so un-American in the sense that like it's not what we. Cons- I mean, it's at, at times it doesn't even feel like we're watching a comedy. Right, um, and I don't even know if the film, and wants us to think that it's a comedy either. I mean, I know that the leading actress in an interview was sort of like, yeah, I don't know why people are calling this a comedy, (laughs) because I don't think it is. Um, Which is, like, makes me sad when I think that, okay, now they're going to make an American remake of this movie. And in my head, I can already just see how, what shape that film is going to take, and like, what, Details are going to be cut in exchange for, like, these one-liners <laughs> that we're used to in American cinema. And so I really appreciate sort of the subversion of, I guess, American... Um, I guess an American's expectations of what comedy is. Um, and so I just, like, I don't... I mean, I think Kirsten Wig is lined up to play the daughter, and it's just like I already just like I already <laughs> hate the movie. And was, like, not even made it yet. I'm actually looking forward to and, it, and like Jack think... Nicholson aside, like I just like don't. I'm not interested. I feel like this movie sort of is very situated in its own place, <laughs> um, and the style of the film that it like the style of the film is also situated in sort of a tradition that is not American, and I think that's fine um but what do you guys feel like this film is a comedy um what were your favorite like comedic moments in the film well i definitely thought it
2: was a comedy and there are funny moments in the movie like i remember very early on i was really charmed by uh winifred's home life like how we only had one student and the students like i don't want to play piano and then he just takes such good care of his dog too it's really charming there but uh, later in the movie i the what is and isn't comedy is really blurred because there are scenes that are definitely like not meant to be funny at all and they aren't funny and it kind of messes with the expectation that this is a comedy there's a small bit with handcuffs that i thought could have been funnier if it was this is one the only thing I want in Tony Erdman to be dragged out longer with the handcuffs. I would have liked to have uh see seen the dynamic between Winifred and Inez for like an entire day just like handcuffed together but
1: I think that. Would be very American, <laughs> yeah, like, like I, you, you you have this scenario in which like two characters are handcuffed together and like they are going to witness or like go together, uh, go through some funny moments together, right? So uh, I think like uh, all of these awkward comedies are not exactly comedies, right? They make you laugh not because they are that funny, but because oh, uh, one of the characters just like exposes him or herself to us right like we feel like oh that is cute <laughs> or like yeah. or like oh I understand you like we we feel like that kind of connection with the characters on screen and I mean and you can already imagine what the American film remake is going to be like it is going to be like devil with product plus. Girl, girls, for example.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? And, like, that handcuff scene's probably going to be drawn out a little bit more, I feel. Yeah. I, yes. I
2: want to, like, get me on the team to remake this movie. And
1: also, uh, I think uh, I think there are some very precious moments in this very long film. Because the film is so low, um, that makes the moments of recon- reconciliation even even better because you feel like, oh, this is the moment in which they start to understand each other. They feel like, okay, oh, I mean, I don't know you. I have been working in Romania for so many years and you don't know me because I'm away. And like, so this kind of father-daughter dynamic really works very well in those moments of uh, reconciliation and recognition. So um, in essence, like, um, of course, I mean, I, I don't see this as a comedy. I think this is uh, more of a drama.
2: Yeah. End in the park, uh, the reconciliation there is very tender. I'm appreciative of that moment a lot.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, so why don't we end on that note? Um, again, Tony Erdman will continue to play at Film Scene throughout the weekend and all of next week. For a complete list of showtimes, check out org. If you're interested in seeing film that challenges, inspires, educates, and entertains in downtown Iowa City, please check out Film Scene and FilmScene's website, icfilmscene.org. To find this and past, uh, past episodes of Bijou Banter, please check out Bijou's website, bijou.uiowa.edu. All of our episodes are also available on iTunes. You've been listening to Bijou Banter. Uh, Sean, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And Changmin, it's a pleasure as always. Likewise. All right, I'm Leah, and I look forward to more banter next week.